0: Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. If you'll uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. It's been, uh, I trust you've had a good week. I know many weren't here last week or the week before, the week before that because of the way the weather worked out, but. uh, when I saw it was going to be sunny this morning and, and the weather is supposed to warm up a little bit, I thought, well, we should have a full house today in the two services, and I'm going to be thankful for that. First Corinthians 13, uh, we've been talking about love, the, the way of love or description of love. And, and uh, love is one of the core actions and attitudes of the, the Christian life. Everything, everything that we do, spiritually speaking or ministry-wise, must be done in the atmosphere of, of love. That's, that's the air that we breathe as, as Christians. But biblical love is, is far different from the world's shallow conception of, of love. You see, God's love is a single central principle that defines a, a Christian's life. And our entire duty, Romans 13, 8 to ten says this: the one that loves another has fulfilled the law. No, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 14, echoes the same truth. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is important because Colossians 3.14 says that love binds everything together. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the model for such selfless love is Jesus Christ, who gave his life to save his people from their sins. Greater love has this, Uh, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so love love is the atmosphere. It's the way that we uh, minister to one another, relate to one another. And there's many popular perversions of love in our society. You know that? What are the popular perversions of love in our society? Well, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, mentions three. He says uh, immorality, uh, you know, sexual lust, that's the equi- uh, equivalent of love, impurity, covetousness. These are, these are substitutes for genuine love. But we could also include stuff that we see in our culture today, such as that mushy, emotional, sentimental feeling that never says a contrary word to somebody. Isn't that that our society? Do not tell me what I don't want to hear because if you do, you do not love me. That's the message our our society sends. We must reject these perversions. In fact, we, we are not showing authentic love unless we are intolerant of popular perversions of love. Most of the talk about love these days ignores this principle. Love uh, has been redefined in broad tolerance that overlooks sin and embraces good and evil alike. And that's not love, that's called apathy. If we're to love, then we need to understand what love is, don't we? Fortunately, we have the Apostle Paul describing it. And so we need, to know when we, we need to know love when we see it, and we need to crave it when we don't. Let's stand together. We'll read 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4 through verse number 7. Love is patient and kind... Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lord, I must admit that my heart this week has just been compelled to pray over and over and over, that you will speak to our hearts and rid our minds of wrong notions about love, and that you will knit our hearts together in love, and that we will learn true love and practice true true love and love our Savior even more than anything else. Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. I said last week, so many people were gone last week. I'm going to do a little bit of a review, if that's okay. And if it's not okay, I'm sorry. But I said last week that this is a rich and compact and beautiful description of love. And I want you to notice structure once again, because structure is so important. It starts out, this list starts with uh, positive characteristics of love. Love is patient and kind it ends with positive descriptions. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. But right in the middle are these negative descriptions of love. And the way that this is, this is set up, it, uh, this is set up so that the very center is the most important idea, and it, is, it does not insist in its own way. That's the very center of this passage And most of the time, being American, we would flip that around and make the positive the center of the message. So why is the negative the center of this message? And the answer is that these characteristics, these negatives that he says here, were all characteristic of the Corinthian people. You find all of these problems in the first 12 chapters of of 1 Corinthians. And so you you have this beautiful structure Saying you Corinthians are not these things, or you're not love, you're not loving because these are the things that you're doing. But also, you'll notice something else. It begins with love is patient. I said last week that that patient, that word for patient, is the patience of the powerful. I gave the illustration of David when he was fleeing from Absalom. Uh, there was a, a descendant of Paul, uh, Saul, King Saul, named Shimei, who was. Cursing the group and throwing rocks at them. And Abishai looked at him and said, Do You want me to lop his head, remove his head from his body, basically. And David said, No. It was the patience of the powerful. The, the description ends down here with love endures all things. And that's another great biblical word for patience. And that's the patience of someone who is powerless against their circumstances. I gave the illustration of mother of Mary the mother of Jesus and how that she endured all things and this is the kind of patience that you must display when there's nothing you can do to change the circumstances and so from beginning to end love is patient that's that's a primary characteristic but then we went on to say that love is kind love is kind that word is is useful love seeks to be useful It it seeks to perform deeds that demonstrate compassion and mercy. They're useful deeds. It's kind of like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan practiced love. He was useful, wasn't he? Binding up the wounds, taking the guy to the end, and all that sort of stuff. So love is kind. I noted that this is the last of the positive, and we start into the negatives, and these characterize the Corinthians. And so we said that love does not envy and that word envy is, is a word that's talking about jealousy. It's love is not jealous over what somebody else has. When I said that when love sees someone who is popular or successful or beautiful or talented, you should be glad for them. Love is glad for them. Even if it's to your own hurt, you're glad for them. You're never jealous or envious. I've never once envied the Patriots, even though the Cowboys have had a bad two decades. A loving person is never jealous. He's glad for the success of others. Love is not boastful. Someone who who, uh, does not love, they boast. They parade their accomplishments. They boast about it. And bragging is the other side of jealousy, where jealousy is wanting what somebody else has, Boasting is wanting everybody else to wish they had what you had, right? And so boasting and, and uh, envy work together. There's two sides of the same coin. Love is not arrogant, literally not puffed up. King James, that's what it says. Love is not puffed up. There's no room for arrogance in the life of somebody who knows that everything that they have and everything they have accomplished and every position that they have obtained was given to them by the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Kids, turn out well. Don't write a book. Thank the Lord that they're not as warped as you are. Right? If you do well, at your job. Be humble and thank the Lord no matter what your skill set is. God, you thank you, because there's a whole lot of very skilled people who, in the world's eyes, don't seem to be able to get ahead, right? You know what I'm saying? It's all the favor of God. All of this stuff is the favor of God. If you are saved, you're not smarter or wiser than anyone else. The Bible says that that salvation was given to you as a gift from the eternal God. Praise be to God. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It's it's not ill-mannered. The word I said was shameless. It doesn't practice shameless or indecent behavior. It, It cares enough about the people around it to be polite. Have you ever met people who don't care if they're polite or not? It's just not love. It's just not love. Love does not insist on its own way. I said that that was the very center. It's not selfish. It doesn't insist on, on uh, that it's his way or the highway. It's placed in the center because it's the key to every other trait. This is the very middle of this little description, and every other description of love centers on this trait. You cannot care about yourself. To the degree that you don't care about others and expect any of these other things to work. It just doesn't happen that way. It's also the sinner because love is a person. Jesus Christ is love, and he gave himself. He's the epitome of self giving love. He never insisted on his own way, did he? Never. When he needed rest, going up to the mountain, and crowds followed him. Did he get a chance to rest? He didn't look at him and say, hey, y'all go back to town. I need some rest. I need some r and R. I I need some me time. To use popular vernacular. He didn't do that. He didn't insist on his own way. Love is not irritable. That's, that's the other side of the coin from insisting on your own way. Love is not touching. It... um. When you love, you do not allow yourself to get irritated or upset or angry at things said or done against you. When you don't get your way, being irritable is the other side of seeking your own way. You're irritable because you're not getting your own way. The person who's intent on having his own way is easily irritated, easily angered, and you have to tiptoe around them when you know they're not getting their own way, right? Love does not... It's not irritable. It's not always seeking its own way. And then love. Love is not resentful. Ligidzmai, keeping account of wrongs. When somebody wrongs you, you're gonna remember it. But you don't relate to them all the time in the the manner of the wrongs done to you. Have you ever? Uh, we we've, we've got friends uh, who uh, the wife never. The, forgets any wrong done to her. And when my wife would go visit her, it was just a recounting of everything. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why. They... And as much as you tried to steer the conversation some, somewhere direction, it was like a homing signal or GPS that would just come right back to it. Love uh, does not keep account of wrongs done against it. You're going to remember it from time to time, but you don't dwell on it. You don't fixate on the wrongs and relate to people by these wrongs. And of all of Paul's admonitions in this list, this one is probably the most difficult one. Isn't it? When we perceive that somebody has wronged us, unless we're bathed in love, it changes everything. We're that fallen. But it doesn't with God, does it? How many of you sinned this week? How? yeah, yeah you bunch of sinners. God doesn't relate to you that way, does he? He doesn't say, that Bo Kilby, I'm just going to, you know, like this. That's how God, instead, he heaps uh, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Uh, uh, I, I'm just amazed. Yesterday was a, a wonderful day. God, the, the, the devotional life yesterday was just incredible. It's been great this whole week. I don't deserve that. Huge answer to prayer I found out about in the evening last night. So excited I could hardly sleep last night. Just the way God works in hearts. And I don't deserve it. But God doesn't relate to me in the the manner of my daily trespasses. And so we we have to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and be the same way. That's Christ-likeness. Well, That's review. Let's go on. What else do we see? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Look at at that. Um, um, The word wrongdoing there is adikia. Now, let me explain something about Greek. The word for righteousness is dikia, D-I-K-I-A. You stick an A in front of it or an alpha in the Greek alphabet, and that makes it not or un or something like that or the opposite. And so... It's it's literally the opposite of righteousness. Love does not rejoice in the opposite of righteousness. The King James translates it unrighteousness. Love does not brag about unrighteous deeds. It doesn't justify its unrighteousness. Man, do we live in in a society that rejoices in unrighteousness, don't we? Oh, man. We live in a society that now tells you, literally tells you, and I don't know if you know this or not, That you are immoral if you do not agree with their perverted sexual freedoms. Literally, Christians are immoral because they do not embrace homosexuality. You realize that, right? That's the line. That's going to be a line of persecution of believers in the future. It's happening right now. They're going to tell you that you're immoral if, if... they, if you don't agree with the law to aid and abet unrighteousness, we live in a society that reminds me of Isaiah 5.20 that says this, Woe to the, those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Rejoicing in unrighteousness is an affront to God who is sinless and perfect, And so when you have a society who rejoices that somebody who was born a man can say, I identify as a woman or I identify as one of the other, uh, 50 other genders or however many there are now, I don't know how many there are. That's perversion and our society rejoices in that. But Christians rejoice in wrongdoing as well, don't we? But we're much more subtle do you know how we rejoice in wrongdoing? Hey, did you hear? Yeah, I was just, you know, so-and-so. And it, it spreads like wildfire in the church, in, in the, the church as a whole, as, at large. And I hate to say this, but I think Christians love scandals just as much as the lost people if we're not careful it grieve your heart about Ravi Zacharias? Does it grieve your heart when a prominent person falls? Or do you sit back and say, yeah, see, I told you so. Yeah, I knew that. That's rejoicing in wrongdoing. We have to be very careful that we don't do the see, I told you so's with each other in our own congregation. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You know what love does? It rejoices with the truth. Now, we are switch back to positive characteristics. I want you to notice the, specifically how it's worded. Love rejoices with the truth. It's a definite article. It's not love rejoices with truth. It's love rejoices with the truth. What is the truth? The truth is truth about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, The truth is truth about God Almighty. The truth is truth about salvation. And every other doctrine that we hang our our hats on and hang our hope on, it rejoices in truth about God and God's truth. Love cannot tolerate wrong doctrine. Let me say it one more time. If you truly love people, you will not tolerate wrong doctrine. Why? Because God is truth, and any perversion of his truth should not be tolerated because it distorts who God is. It makes no sense to say, you know, it doesn't make a great difference if people don't agree with us about doctrine. What matters most is that we love them. That's not love. It's not love when you won't uh, refute with sound doctrine. All. Do you realize that all of life is theology? All of life is theology. Your theology determines how you use your money. Do you hoard it like there's no tomorrow because you want to pack it away for a rainy day, the economy fails or whatever else? Or do you know that your money was given to you in stewardship by God and that we're supposed to give it away? See, that's theology, isn't it? Theology refutes the idea of YOLO. You only live once. That's a lie. We live forever and ever and ever. And by the way, bucket list, why do you want a bucket list of a rusty heap that's going to fade away and we're going to have more glory than we can ever imagine? I was listening, I think I've mentioned this to, some, I don't know, I, I talked to so many people about so many different things, but I heard a sermon, this guy said this, he said, you know, you, you hear preachers say, you're going to be surprised at who's in heaven, and then you hear him say, you're going to be surprised at who's not, and he said, I'm going to be surprised when I get to heaven, and say, I'm here, I am actually here, praise be to God, and so... All of life is theology. The way you think about food, believe it or not, it's theology. How you treat your body. These are all theological issues. The primary theology, theological truth is about God and eternity. And people's eternal destinies are contingent upon the truth. Hearing the truth. We have to be speakers of the truth. We can't shrink back and say, well, you know what, I just don't want to offend them. Well, what good is that? Truth is offensive. And so we, um, we rejoice in the truth, and that's why we strive to teach sound doctrine at Providence Bible Church. Listen, the purer your doctrine is now, the better equipped you are to live it here And you are more prepared for the eternal glories to come. This is free, by the way. This isn't even in my sermon notes. But think about it. The vast majority of preaching in the United States is about how to fix your marriage, how to do well in your job, how to be happy, healthy, and wise, right? Is that the way God teaches in His Bible? The exact opposite. Everything that we're preparing for is for the eternal weight of glory that cannot compare to the sufferings that we endure in this life. And so true doctrine prepares us for eternal glories. And love is kind, but it's not kind to tolerate false teaching of any degree. As I've stated before, we live in a culture where any stand on truth is considered unloving. In fact, when one stands on the truth, those who don't like your stand usually don't attack what you're teaching. Rather, they attack your manner or your tone. I just don't like his tone. You ever heard that one? His tone is terrible. They they never engage the content. I didn't like the way you did that. Well, you. (laughs) Look, we're not trying to offend people, but we're going to tell them the truth, right? Many well-meaning believers, for the sake of peace, or for the goal of getting along, tolerate wrong teaching, and in the process, they offend holy God. Given the choice between possibly offending someone with the truth and pleasing God... Or offending God and getting along with someone else, one should always risk offending the person and not God. God uses truth to change hearts, and so love rejoices in the truth. It's beautiful. Truth is wonderful. Love, we get to chapter, verse number 7 now. And it's like a quick staccato. The way it's it's set up in the original language, it's a real staccato description. So we're going to run through them a little bit quick. I want you to notice you four glorifying qualities of love, and it's it's hyperbolic. It's he's using um, hyper hyperbole here. He uses the word all. Love bears all things and uh, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right? The word all. You you need to know this. The word all here many times means all kinds rather than all like everything it's not everything all it's all kinds all many times in scripture when the word is is used and so love bears all things stego it means the word means to cover up it's it love always protects it's confidential It it protects others from exposure, ridicule, or harm. Now, this is different. Hear what I'm saying? This is different from protecting sin. It's Not the same thing. It's not protecting sin. When you're trying to correct someone, you don't publicly call them out. Rather, you go to them privately and quietly. See what I'm talking about? Um, So love doesn't protect the sin but it protects the sinner. There's a a perversity in our nature where we take pleasure in uh, exposing other people's sins. It's wrong. It makes us feel better about ourselves, I think. The best way to understand love bears all things, this protection that we're talking about, is how we protect our children, right? We don't publicly parade their faults and sins, what do we do? We take our children and we correct them privately while publicly we try to put the best face on it. Don't we? If you love your children, that's what you do. Look, we're a spiritual family. And so we do the same thing. We don't justify sin, compromise falsehood, love warns and corrects and exhorts and rebukes, and disciplines, but love does not expose or broadcast failures or wrongs. It covers and protects. The only time it exposes them in a church context is when you're working through church discipline. Right? And eventually you have to get there. And so that's, that's love bears all things. Love believes all things. You know what he's talking about here? Love is not cynical. It always trusts. When, when Let me me throw this out. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, and there's a question about guilt or innocence, then love always opts for the most favorable possibility until another outcome is known. I'm telling you what, that one is very lacking in a lot of churches. A lot of congregations don't have that we as i said a minute ago we're a spiritual family we should choose to trust and believe one another until proven otherwise choosing cynicism over belief is not love instead it's selfish self protection when you when you always think the worst and you don't believe and you don't trust you're you're most of the time you're trying to protect yourself and it's it's self preservation this is not about always trusting those around us who are not often worthy of trust. It's, about, it's actually about trusting the one who calls us to love others and living out that love for others as a reflection of our trust in him. And so let me say it a different way. That was a mouthful. When we choose to trust others, we're really choosing to trust him, and that's a reflection of our trust in him it's sadly lacking in congregations today. We should strive as a congregation to develop an attitude of mutual trust. We should choose to believe that each person is dedicated to the Lord and desires to serve Him. We should believe that each person truly desires to please the Lord and is choosing to love their neighbor. And when they fail, we should choose to believe that they are trying to obey the Lord and help them along the way. Do you practice that? I, I would imagine all of us have had this experience. In, in, in a way, email and, and texting is a bane to my existence because people say things, a lot of people are not real good writers. And you read something, and this is a person you've known for a long time. You have a great relationship, and you're like, okay, I can't tell if that's innuendo or if that person is mad at me. You ever had that experience? Yeah. What do you have to do if you love that person? Okay, I'm going to choose to believe that they're not blasting me. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Have you ever had this experience where where you're, you're emailing or texting somebody, you're thinking, man, I'm not sure if there's not something wrong. And then when you see them, it's like, oh, yeah, everything's great. You never say a word to them, but you can just tell. There was, you were just, it, it was something up here. Well, I mean, I'm the only one that's mental, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you Have ever had that experience? Love believes all things. And we should strive as a congregation that when somebody else fails, we, we're believing that they're trying to obey the Lord to help them. Let me ask you a question. Isn't that the kind of people you want to be around? Don't you? People who think the best about you, who are not cynical towards you, who won't parade your faults in front of others, who will not question your motives. Don't you want to be around people like that? Anybody who answers no is a psychopath. (laughs) Let me tell you this. The best way to enjoy that kind of fellowship is to be that kind of person, right? Love believes all things. You know what else? Love hopes all things. By the way, this has nothing to do with naive optimism. This is not hoping for the best in those around us it's, it's hope for Christ in the resurrection. It's about maintaining the hope set before us by the one whom we have entrusted our lives, our futures, and we're being empowered to uh, by that future final hope to take the risk of loving those around us in the present. In other words, our hope, and I tell you what, I can't wait to get to chapter 15. I am so excited about 1 Corinthians 15. I want to skip chapter 14, but I can't because I've got to preach the whole counsel of God. You know what I'm saying? But it's that resurrection hope that allows us to believe the best about others and to love others at the risk of getting hurt ourselves. Because our hope is not here, it's up there, it's with Christ in heaven, the one who loved us unconditionally. Amen. Love en- endures all things. I talked about that. That's love patiently endures. Continually, you know what this kind of love is? I told you it's the one that can't change the circumstance. It would also be the kind of patience that you have to have to love your enemies. So it was Stephen who said, when Stephen was being stoned in Acts, he said, "Do not hold their sin against them. And continuing through the present day martyrs and continue to endure persecution, Christians from Stephen until today have endured persecution and have been patient in suffering and have prayed over and over, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. That's patience. That's endurance. To endure persecution from your enemy is to love them and it's especially Christ like. It's Jesus who himself commanded us to love our enemies, didn't he? Jesus commanded us. Love And God loves his enemies. I heard somebody say on Monday, if God hadn't loved his enemies, we would have no salvation. Let that sink in. All of us who were believers in Jesus Christ at one time were his enemy. Praise be to God that he loves his enemies. And so therefore we can love our enemies I've been speaking about this privately and in small gatherings, but this is the first time I've actually mentioned this uh, very publicly. But we're rapidly approaching the time in our country when uh, we're going to be viewed as the enemies. And we're going to get to practice what it means to love our enemies. Are you ready to love your enemies if they lock your voice out of the Internet? Lock your voice off of social media? Are you willing to love your enemies? Are you willing to love your enemies if they lock out, electronically freeze your ability to do commerce? Are you willing to love your enemies if they speak all manner of evil against you, when they start lying about you and and calling you immoral because you say homosexuality is sin, transgenderism is a perversion, and it's a rebellion against God Almighty? Are you willing to love your enemies? We're going to get to practice that in the future. It's coming. And I hope you're ready to love your enemies. And it's here, it's only going to increase. But when we step back and look at this beautiful description of love, I was so excited about preaching today. This description of love is meant to be a wonderful portrait of the character of Jesus Christ. Where do you get love like this from? How will you begin to love like this? You do it by realizing that you have been first loved by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We love because he first loved us. But we learn to love by looking at the one who is love. We apply love beginning with our brothers and sisters in Christ and extending to our enemies. Why? Because he first loved us. You remember Isaac Watt's wonderful hymn of celebration and praise the Lord, where he says this. He concludes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my soul, my all. When you see how much you've been loved, and with what kind of love you have been loved, when you see what has been done for you in Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you, you will find your heart beginning to melt and you will begin to love because you have first been loved. You get love like this by becoming the recipient of the love of Jesus Christ like this. Maybe that our lovelessness reveals how little we dwell on the loving kindness of God for us in Jesus and how little we understand it and how far we've wandered From the side of the cross. And so, my call today is, dear believer, run to Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Meditate on the cross. Meditate what he's done for you. And you will be overflowing in love for one another. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. You have done such a work in my heart this week, just studying last two weeks. Lord, I thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that because you have given us your Holy Spirit, we have the power to love like this. No, we won't do it perfectly because we're not Jesus, but we can each day become more and more conformed to the image of your Son. And may that, Lord, be true of Providence Bible Church, that we become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by our love for one another, and by our love for our enemies, and most of all, by our love for God. In his name, amen.